from Sports Pro. This is the Playbook Podcast with Matt Rogan. Hello and welcome to this new series which aims to look both inside and outside the world of sport to gather some pragmatic advice from senior leaders as to help us navigate our businesses through a really challenging 2021 and ultimately to, to build them back even better than they were before. The first theme we're going to look at today is, is communication and I picked that to go first because I think it's particularly challenging for many of us at the moment. Not only are we having to give tougher messages than perhaps we have done previously internally within our organisations, but also do that in a, in a predominantly virtual world. I'm delighted to welcome for this first show, Natalie Benjamin. I think if you can disclose stuff that's hard and are willing to deal with people's reaction to that, then that's when real trust is built. We both work together at an organisation called Lane4, a performance development consultancy, where Natalie's now a partner and a consultant director. She's also a Commonwealth Games athlete. She competed at two Commonwealth Games. She's a non-exec director with Swim Wales and by far the best person, I thought, to help us navigate this topic at the moment. So this is fun. Thanks for coming. My pleasure. I'm excited. It's been a while. So, so I know you, but many of the people who are listening in um, probably won't, or at least not as well as I do. So, so what what brings you here? What, how do you get to um, to be at the other end of this podcast line today? Yeah. So, well, you and I have worked together many many moons ago at Lane Four, the performance consultancy I worked for. In fact, I think you were my first leader. So interesting that we might talk a little bit about leadership today. Sorry about that. So that brings me, me here. Sort of the my career has spanned sort of the, the marriage of sport and business. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, lot, lots in common. So I'm sure lots to talk about. And start us off on your journey at um, maybe at uni. Like, where's the best place to start in in kind of your trajectory from from what you learn in theory to now putting it into some practice? Yeah, I studied French and Welsh literature again many moons ago in Cardiff. Um, so studied languages and thought I would be a sports journalist. That was my sort of career vision, career trajectory. I also did a bit of sports. So. As you know, I was a runner, 1500 meter runner, ran for Wales at a couple of Commonwealth Games and Great Britain at an under 23 championship. So got to a good level in sport, not quite where I suppose I would have liked to have got to, but loved it, had a great experience in sport and thought my career would be about sport and business. And it has been, although not quite exactly as I'd imagined back then. So I studied, I trained as a journalist, a broadcast journalist in Cardiff School of Journalism learned so much. I mean, it, it, it still is an amazing course. And so many of my colleagues on that year have gone on to be fantastic journalists. But I found myself at Lane 4, an organisation called Lane 4, because I was training, actually, at that time for the Melbourne Commonwealth Games. And I was looking for something that I could do alongside sort of almost full-time training. So joined an organisation that takes the lessons from performance psychology into the corporate world. And I guess as the story goes, I never left because I loved it so much and it connected lots of my passions and I found sort of a home and a place there. So I have developed my career post-sport in that organisation, working with loads of amazing clients, helping them to develop 
different skills that that Lane Four has learned about in terms of how you prepare to perform at the highest level. My my particular specialism, as you mentioned, is around communication and, and leadership communication. But I have a real interest in all of the things it takes to perform under pressure and in difficult circumstances, whether that's in sport or or in business, indeed. That's a that's some background, and I guess. So you trained as a as, as a broadcast journalist, which is ultimately sort of B two C communication. So so talking to people at home or on the radio or wherever it might be, and and then moving into a world at Lane Four where I, I guess you're helping people and helping leaders communicate to team members and employees and and external yeah. stakeholders and things. So so how has learning about leadership communication been different from from what you learnt? Um, in university, because because I, I guess most people in sport are, are very used to the sort of B two C communication and less used to or less taught in terms of leadership communication. Yeah, I mean, I suppose what's the same between those two things is interesting. So so nowadays we're sort of sort of talking fifteen years later. It's true that whether you're communicating externally or internally we're working with savvier consumers of communication than ever before huh. everyone's got high expectations of what good communication looks like there's this thirst if you like for i'm almost i'm doing the inverted commas as i'm speaking authentic communication or wanting to understand the real person i think the differences between the two were more, more obvious to your point when i was studying journalism because that was before we all had a smartphone in our pocket, before this, the democracy of content and everyone could tell a story and everyone could shape a story how they want to, that that wasn't so prevalent 15 years ago. More commonly then, the only window you had into a leader was their corporate position or that nice profile piece in the industry media. Mm-hmm. And I think we're, we're so much savvier with content now and, and people want a great insight into the real you I think we're conditioned for that, even though we know the real version of ourselves on social media is still so often a mass of cleverly curated content. Um, I suppose what's true about internal comms and and speaking to your team members in an organisation is that your everyday interactions with the people you need are absolutely never off. There is no moment of being off. So that's different from a more structured and organised public external communication strategy etc etc um but of course your employees are still part of your broader public so it's it's complicated and i guess it's it's taken to the extreme in the current environment we're operating in in our sort of zoom-based existence and teams-based existence um and it's probably exacerbated by many of the messages that that as leaders we have to share and communicate are pretty tough at the moment. Um, how have you found the the dialogue you've had with leaders in corporate settings change and, and the way you've helped them make sense of the messages they need to convey change over the course of a, a pretty turbulent last 12 months? Yeah, and you just couldn't have imagined the last 12 months in so many ways. I mean, personally, I have delivered as a leader, some of the toughest messages I ever have over the last year and have worked alongside leaders who are delivering some of the toughest messages they ever have. And it's been, no doubt, it's been sobering. 
what what I have made sure that I've done is that I have asked for feedback. So I have I have checked, you know, what works in this context, what doesn't, what's different, what's not. And everybody who I've had to deliver difficult messages to have talked about two things. They talked about clarity and care. And those two things, I guess in lots of ways, they're simple, but they're not always so simple to execute, so to speak. So yeah. there's a difference between being clinical and being clear. They're, they're different things. And there's a difference between care and being overly emotional when you're delivering a message that's hard. But it's not about you. It's about the person who's receiving it. And it's about their emotion, not your emotion. So, yeah, I guess that's what's been important and, and still something I've learned, even though I've been consulting with clients on it for so long. Uh, and I guess it, in some ways, do those two things compete with each other a little bit because um you you know being caring is about is about listening is about going with um and and reacting to the emotion you're seeing in the person you're communicating to and yet at the same time the more you go with that the, the risk is you lose the clarity of the message so, so can you find those things compete a little bit at times yeah yeah they absolutely can i mean i remember um, a colleague of ours, Matt, somebody we used to work with, one of the senior leaders, um, first senior leaders I worked with, we sort of had this debate once about the merits of softening a message and the merits of softening a message to make it more palatable for the receiver. Yes. And this person said to me, yeah, when you give a child a medicine medicine, you might put some honey in it to make it easier to swallow. So what's the difference? And I thought, you know, it's, it's a good point. Uh, bluffing a message or augmenting a message or softening a message to make it easier for the recipient what are the merits of that I think what I always try and remember is with the metaphor of the medicine or the analogy of the medicine the the honey doesn't make the medicine less effective I think if you're going to soften a message you need to be careful that it doesn't remove the meaning Yes. And that somebody doesn't leave, to your point, with that lack of clarity. And it's a really fine balance. You're totally right. Because if somebody, during some terrible sort of redundancy conversations people have had to have this year, if they leave feeling you have been so clinical that you haven't cared about them as a person, that's terrible. And if they leave not understanding the commercials of what's going on or the, some of the reasons that that too is is not is not ideal it's a really tricky balance have you um if you any learning or advice you can pass on in terms of the ways in which you might think differently about that message communicated on zoom or digitally versus face-to-face -face? you know is there any style flex that you would recommend Again, before before COVID and, and, and us all having to adapt the way we work so much, I would always have been quite uh, binary about it and gone, you know, the hardest messages are always better to be done face to face. You must find a way or do everything you can to make that happen. And that that was removed from us. Um, I, I guess I still hold true that where possible, doing these things face to face is better. But if you can't, some of the basics around managing distractions, being on time, eye contact. I found there's a danger sometimes in this sort of Zoom 
um, this Zoom world, there's a potential to be even more transactional. So sort of get on, get off, have a quick conversation, get on with your day and to leave less time for some of the more, more relationship building, some of those conversations. So it's making sure that that risk doesn't manifest itself when you're having a really serious conversation about something super important or something that affects somebody's career or life. Um, yeah. That makes, that, yeah, that makes sense. It, I guess, I wondered if I, I might be able to ask you now about some things that I still find tough. Um, so, so I guess that the things that I find tougher in this space are when you find yourself making, if I'm honest, find yourself making judgment calls on the fly a little bit. As much as I can prepare for a tough message, um, there's a degree of um, judgment call. I think when you get into a conversation um, of any type as a leader around, and the first thing um, I'm never sure about is, is disclosure. Right, so the reality is you as a leader, by definition of the conversation you're happening, um, know a little bit more about the context, what's going on behind the scenes and the person you're engaging with. So, um, and if I get asked a straight question, my, my preference is always to give a straight answer. Um, is that right? How do you manage the, the information flow in a way that, that feels respectful to everyone? Yeah, it's a great question and something I've really still wrestle with. What I know is that complete transparency and disclosure about all sorts of things about organisations is neither desirable or possible. Most professionals understand that, that not everything can be disclosed. I think the challenge comes when there is stuff that you can disclose. It's, it's possible to disclose it. There's no sort of legal reason why you wouldn't, but you choose not to because it's hard. Mm-hmm. That's the difference to me. And that's the sort of almost the sweet spot, because I think if you can disclose stuff that's hard and are willing to deal with people's reaction to that, then that's when real trust is built. So being able to share something hard or complicated or not fully formed and being able to lean into that and acknowledge you don't know all the answers, but this is what you do know. This is what you don't know. This is what you think. This is what you're not sure of. I think too many leaders avoid that because it's messy and hard yeah. and perhaps package that up or tell themselves, well, well, I couldn't say that. Well, there's definitely a bunch of stuff you couldn't say. You absolutely couldn't say, but there's this other bunch of stuff that you probably could if you had the courage to engage with a conversation about it. It's interesting, isn't it? I was talking to um, the chief exec of Swiss football team, Young Boys, uh, Vanya Gore, and he was talking about, um, one of the things he, he, he feels has held his team in really good stead over the course of the last year or so has been trying to get a collective acceptance that um, even if we as a group only know 70% of the, of the information we'd like to know, we're still going to make a call here. And that, that pace around decision-making has been fundamental at a challenging time. The challenge with that, I guess, and you know, we all hire... Um, the most talented, most inquiring minds we possibly can is, is that that leads you open to feeling vulnerable and fe- when smart people ask you questions as to why you've made decisions and, and you're really just saying, we've done the best we can with the information we have in front of us, but we don't know all the answers. And, and you open yourself up to somebody saying, well, you're making a decision that impacts on my career and my life based on not having all the answers. But, but that's the, 
the reality of the world we're in at the moment, I guess. Yeah, you've, you've hit on such an important thing. Too often people want to have and to have prepared this perfect approach when it comes to communication or this perfect answer. And actually, when I started my career, that's what I, that's what I expected and that's what I thought leadership communication was. And it's not that I am advising people to come up with imperfect answers all of the time, but don't let not knowing the perfect answer hinder timely communication or progress and decision making because so often as you say we're dealing with 70 or 80 percent of the information we still have to make a decision and respond to something and move forward it's it's part of i mean it's at the heart of, of leadership right having to make these complex and difficult decisions and then being vulnerable or being the person who people will will point the finger at or ask questions about I come back to my point about being as transparent as you can, yeah. sharing as much as you can, and being honest about that. And that's where I think trust can be built. But you're right. Um, you won't always have the perfect answer or the perfect solution. And that cannot hinder progress. Uh, it's about knowing when you need to know more and you really haven't got a message that's fit for an audience and when you've got enough to move forward with. That makes, makes total sense difficult as it is so, so i guess let's maybe broaden out the conversation a little bit from from communication now and just talk more broadly about leadership and management and what you notice in in the work that you do helping FTSE boards and, and large corporate boards make sense at times like these what, what are the best leaders that you work with doing brilliantly at the moment so so what's really working you, you've you've touched on it a bit with these making decisions when you haven't got all of the information. What I'm seeing, those who are, I, don't, I definitely don't use the word thriving. I don't know how much thriving is going on, but the people who are doing well and navigating this well are managing the seemingly impossible. So at Lane 4, we talk about some of our research into paradoxical mindsets. So two seemingly competing things, but navigating them well. So one example would be, being ruthlessly caring. So those two words seem in contradiction with one another, but it's about being able to make tough decisions and remain compassionate. So pure compassion perhaps would mean that you couldn't make a tough decision that needs to be made. But the balance of them or the paradox is managing both. Mm -hmm. I think that's some of the stuff we've talked about already in terms of making tough decisions, but communicating them well. Yeah. Other stuff we've talked about uh, and our research shows is this need to be politically virtuous. So accepting that doing the right thing is not always completely straightforward. And those two things can seem in, in conflict with one another. Definitely something about sort of this relentless pursuit of performance, but, but then also noticing when people are doing well and being satisfied with attainment. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, those things, those things I'm finding really fascinating, seeing people navigate things that seem in real tension with each other really well. I remember when you and I were, were working on projects 15 years ago, we used to talk about, uh, it's 15 years, crikey. we used to talk about the um, the benefits of walking the corridors. So, so you know, being in an office environment and, and asking questions and just watching and that sort of subtle way as a leader of picking up clues, but also checking in with with, with people from across your organisation. Is it is there an equivalent in a virtual world of walking the corridors? You know, how do you how do you tap into or can you tap into 
the more informal stuff that's so important as a leader. Yeah, simply put, you can, but it's harder and you need to be more intentional. So we, yeah, you're right. We used to talk about the corridor conversations, the water cooler conversations. What's true in the virtual world is those conversations are still happening. There are still people in your organisation, in our organisations, making sense of things, have, you know, talking to their networks, their friends at work. Those conversations still exist. They haven't ceased because we're not in a physical environment. What's much harder is for leaders to tap into those and notice those and be part of those and shape those and influence them and all of those good things. So it, it can be done but it has to be more deliberate. And sometimes that can feel more intense Mm -hmm. and less natural. So when you think about what it looks like in practice, it's phoning somebody who you're not working on a task with, popping time in, having a coffee conversation when there's no real reason to discuss, a real reason to talk or or it doesn't seem obvious. Um, It's almost like the... uh... There's a benefit to it as well. There's a huge benefit I have found. They can feel um, difficult to put in these calls. They can feel awkward. All of those things that sometimes are true about standing next to someone at the coffee machine as well. But actually, you can build, you can, with the right approach, build strong relationships virtually because they're quite an intense environment. You can see somebody's whole face, face to face. You're looking at them in the eye. You can see all of those cues actually up close and personal so if you take that opportunity you know, you've got a window into their house you don't know what's going on outside the door to their office there is a real opportunity to build a different type of conversation a different type of relationship with somebody in this virtual world uh, it makes total sense I guess I, I sort of have memories of every time anyone in my life <laughs> has said to me we need to talk that's never normally a good thing, <laughs> but but you're right. You know, as a, as a leader, having the bravery to, you know, an emotionally intelligent way to try and open that dialogue up can be, can be really important. Um, and that window into um, what's going on in in the home of a of an employee or a team member or something though can be can be challenging. I've just come off a call with a, um, a lady who I'm working on with a project who's having horrible problems with. Um, trying to get her kids homeschooled and that's creating knock-ons in terms of her ability to be productive and normally as a as a leader I'd, I'd have aimed ideally to stay out of out of home life unless asked in but but there's sort of in this melting pot we're working in now there's kind of no you, you can't avoid that a- any tips for for how far to move or not move into that space what what's the right answer there and understanding the whole person and what's going on for a whole person for me is at the heart of really great leadership it, it it's not about being best friends with everybody nobody is saying that's desirable or that it's what everybody would want from their leaders but particularly during this time i think don't think we've used the word unprecedented in these 23 minutes so far so maybe i've got liberty to now it is so different <laughs> it's so different to everything we've experienced before knowing if somebody is having to do two or three lessons a day, knowing if somebody is, you know, what's going on with their partner or their family. And and obviously it's got to be what somebody wants to disclose to you, but I think it's more important than it's ever been to understand the whole person and what's going on for somebody because it's it's going to affect the way they approach their day-to-day work. So understanding that, being part of that, 
um, trying to do all we can to navigate and support that yeah feels feels so crucial and I don't suggest it's easy either it's not always easy to have these conversations with people it relies on a good relationship it relies on good questions it relies on noticing um yeah and empathy and and presumably a little bit of disclosure too because the way to open the door in that kind of environment is is to share maybe a little bit of the same things you're juggling your side you know so they're not alone in in the in the challenges they're having how's your homeschooling going well i before we got on this call this morning i'd done um multiplication and division and talk to my son about the solar system I'm not sure I'm a great teacher I'm not sure I'm enjoying it (laughs) Um, I mean the irony is not lost on me that I spend so much of my working life trying to create fantastic learning environments for leaders I'm not not sure I'm creating the best learning environment for my little would-be leader but I'm sure he'll get through it (laughs) hopefully I will but but ultimately you know, joking aside, it, it, all you, what you've done there is given people a little glimpse into into what's going on in in your world at home, which probably leads some people listening to this to think, okay, I understand a little bit more about what Natalie's managing at home, and, and actually her professionalism and quality in this environment that everything she shared in the last twenty five minutes is great. But also, I have now more empathy for that message now because I know there's a real person behind it. Um, so I wasn't using you as a test case, but it deliberately. But actually, I think that works as a just a, giving a little bit of yourself can open up a, a, a lot more from other people as well in, in a time that's really important mm. to do that. Um, do, does that mean that um, so so you in a line management scenario, you start to learn and understand critically a lot more about what's going on in your team members' lives at home and things? Does, does that mean you find yourselves in situations wondering? Are there occasions maybe if one of your team members get a bit of heat or something where you, you, you sort of need to share a little bit of that or at least allude to some of that just to give them a bit of horrible phrase, but give them a little bit of air cover um, when people are being very demanding of them in a working environment and, and you're the line manager? Do you know, I I work in, I'm fortunate, I'm fortunate to work in an organisation where, and you'd hope, and you'd hope this was true, where we practice what we preach. So I, at the heart of what we do in our organisation is about the whole person to work, who who people really are, what drives and motivates them. So actually, Laneforth has always been good at that. Mm-hmm. What I'm noticing is that other leaders and other organisations might be struggling with it. So some of my clients might be because it, it's more traditionally corporate to create this distinction between your home and work life. I've never quite thought of it like that. I thought I've got this life and I need to manage all this stuff in my life this sort of notion that there's a a divide between work and life has always been unusual to to me because you're you're just one person you've just got all this stuff to do so I'm actually noticing more that it's some of my clients who are struggling with that to know what's okay what's not okay sure should I really know this about what's going on for the person at, at home this blur between our home and work life you know we're not just working from home we're living in our office it's completely different um so I, I think I've always been able to, to do your question to navigate that quite well and know what to share and, and when I think other people are finding that difficult yeah it's so different no absolutely I mean it's, it's not an easy balance uh, do, do you notice um as we sort of maybe move towards the, the wrapping up did you notice any 
major differences in the leadership dynamics and the style of leadership and management um, between your work in the corporate space, any of the work you've also done, some of us, we've done some of it together in the sports space, um, in professional and participation sport or your non-exec role. Do you, do you notice any any differences in the dynamics in the way that in which leadership and management operates? Not as many as I'd imagined before I went back into work in a governing body. Yeah. I mean, I've come into sport at a time when governing bodies have had to professionalise enormously from everything I've read and experienced. So I've actually come into a governing body that's very well-governed and well-run with so much, yeah, so much discipline in place. It's different to that which I imagine you would have experienced many years ago before that was the case. What I'm learning is the difference between a hands-on role that I have in my day role and a non-exec role, which is by design a hands-off role. So I personally am wrestling with how do you influence and shape and support people without getting your hands dirty. So that's yeah, that for me that's a leadership journey and something I'm constantly learning. And it's made me realise how much of what I've done well in my day-to-day job has involved me doing, doing stuff and being involved in the day-to-day. Yeah. So I think that's my biggest personal learning so far. It's not an easy balance, is it? I mean, I'm a non-exec at the English Institute of Sport, which I love. And um, I, I, it's, a, it's a challenging one because ultimately they invite you to come on board because they value the skill set you have. And yet at the same time, you don't want to go to your point. You know, you, you, you're not fulfilling your role if you go too deep into the organisation. That's not the purpose. Um, okay, so... Um, Perhaps to, to wrap up, um, I think we're going to try and initiate a, a couple of questions that um, we're going to ask everyone who we're lucky enough to, to spend some time with on this podcast. Um, so the first one, perhaps, um, if you have one top tip for your experience, from all of your experience, um, that you could provide to everyone listening today to take into their working world immediately. So let's say they're listening to the course of a Tuesday and it's something they can put into practice or try on Wednesday, what would it be? To put into practice tomorrow, for example, it would be put in a meeting with somebody you haven't spoken to for a while, a meeting that's not about a task and a meeting that hasn't got an agenda. I think that's different for people. It's unusual. Um, It's easy with Zoom and these back-to-back Microsoft team meetings be super task focused you go from one task to another so a taking the time but b just phoning somebody no agenda how are you what's going on tell me about what the challenges you're facing uh, and see where that leads very good just don't introduce it with we need to talk or you would give (laughs) the fear of god into me um awesome okay so final question then so let's say we've been out and listened to this on a run as you and i probably want to do or or we're sort of trying to condense all the richness of the conversation into, let's say, 10 words or less. How would you how would you sum up your key message from today in 10 words or less for us to take back into, into our thoughts? Have proper conversations with people you lead. It's for people to work out what proper means. By that, I mean real conversations about things that are going on for people, 
about performance, about the complexities of performance, not surface level conversations, proper conversations. Even if that feels uncomfortable. Fantastic. Even if that feels uncomfortable. Well, listen, thank you ever so much. It's been a complete pleasure to chat again for, for taking time. How, how do people best get in touch with you if they, you know, they want to reach out to you? Yeah, I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Twitter. I'm actually trying to wean myself off um, some other social media platforms. But I'm, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Twitter. So it'd be great to hear from people. Very good. Well, Natalie, thanks ever so much. It's been far too long since we last chatted and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. So thanks ever so much for your time. an absolute pleasure thank you the playbook podcast is published by sports pro and is part of a wider series delivering agenda-free pragmatic advice on how to navigate your organization through change to explore the library and find out about the playbook labs residential executive training program head to sportspromedia.com slash playbook